Good evening, everyone. My name is Simon Barrett, and this is another edition of Journey into Justice. As always, I'm joined by my very good friend, attorney and author Mark Bellow. Mark, welcome to the program. Simon, as always, it's good to be here with you. Right. I, had a, I had a lousy day. Today. I had a lousy day today, so uh, uh, it's good to be with you. <laughs> so, um, I, I have to admit that um, I'm not entirely sure exactly what this um, program's going to be about tonight. Um, all I got from Mark was uh, some. Um, Delightful notes. I really enjoyed the first one. It just says, Issues Requiring Simple Justice. Now, I'm a simple sort of a guy, and I've figured out just by hanging around Mark that there's no such thing as simple when it comes to justice. So, Mark, I'll let you explain what this phrase means and uh, how the country deals with it. Well, the the as as I was uh, driving home from court today, uh, and unusually because I I don't do much court work these days, but I happened to be in court as a mediator. Uh, most of today, uh, listening to other people's cases and, and trying to help them resolve cases. Uh, that's what the mediation or facilitation process is. And uh, one of these days we'll have a topic uh, 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 on, on alternative dispute resolution, which is what mediation is. Uh, right. There's a big push in the legal community to, to um resolve cases uh, in ways other than trial. And the mediation process uh, is one of those methods. Uh, uh, Lawyers in the community uh, essentially volunteer their time to hear cases instead of judges and try to help the two parties settle the case. Uh, So that's what I did most of the day today. The, but the, as I was, um, driving home, um, thinking about uh, what we ought to be talking about, Um, one of the things that bothers me about the law and one of the reasons why I chose a, a civil trial practice as my career choice was because the average lower income citizen does not have the same access to civil court as a wealthier individual. Now, you and I and our audience have discussed in the past the criminal justice system and invariably the uh, most likely 
candidate for a crime is someone who is impoverished. Uh, Someone robs a store because they need money uh, or drugs or uh, food. Um, Poverty leads to crime and um, a poor person uh, is not only the person who typically commits a crime, but he's also the person who has the most difficulty finding a lawyer to represent him uh, in criminal court. So we ha- we've had a, we've had conversations about the criminal justice system and uh, access to justice um, for minorities and impoverished people in in criminal court, but we really haven't discussed the same issue in civil court. Uh, We talked, for instance, about Felicity Huffman and and, uh, those um, uh, college entrance uh, cheaters uh, and whether Felicity should have gotten more than 14 days. Uh, And as it turns out, she only got 11 because she got <laughs> I don't know how how somebody can get three can can get three days off of a fourteen day sentence, but but she did. Um, uh, what went through my mind, and what we talked about on another show was, you know, would someone who was not wealthy uh, have been had been had would they have been treated the same way? Uh, would they have gotten more time? Uh, I don't know. But when you talk about this kind of stuff, uh, what, pe- what most people don't understand is it bleeds into the civil arena also. So, for instance, um, I-, I noticed when you when you put up the blurb about what today's topic would be, you, you mentioned reproductive rights. And... I don't think it's a secret that, A, a wealthier person has access to an abortion or to contraceptives or to reproductive justice more so than a poor person does. Um, If you look at Planned Parenthood, for instance, which is basically the only uh, method by which a poor person gains access to these kinds of things, uh, low-income people receive health care services from Planned Parenthood under Title X for free or at a reduced cost. What happens? Along comes the Trump administration, and he basically cuts the hell out of the funding related to Planned Parenthood. And when you attack people's access to reproductive health care, you essentially force people to have children that they don't want or can't afford, and they become part of the uh, problem rather than part of the solution. Uh, One of of the things I find odd about the – 
abortion issue is you have people who are forcing uh, unwanted children into the world, but at the same time, they want to cut services to the people who are having them. So you are forced to have the child, but you have no way to care for them. Um, Yeah, that's one thing that uh, has always bothered me. You know, it's it's great saying, okay, you know, we really want you to have this child, but, you know, who's going to help raise it? You know, um, babies cost money. You know, uh, they... It it makes not one lick of sense to me, but um, I'm sure sure there's an answer. It's just I'm not smart enough to uh, understand it. Well, I I, I think you're plenty smart. I I don't think it's it's an issue that even a smart person, quote-unquote, can understand. Uh, it could because it makes no sense. Um, what it basically is is an example of what I'm trying to talk about, which is that uh, when you look at civil legal problems, uh, the wealthy, uh, the middle class, um, can afford essentially 100% uh, an attorney and uh, are able to um, hire the attorney they want, get the legal service they want, and get the result that they pay for. At the same time, uh, according to statistics, roughly 86% of the civil legal problems reported by low-income Americans in, a, in this country received either no legal help or inadequate legal help. Um, and that's a, a huge gap between how civil justice is administered in America today. Odds are that you're going to have at least one legal problem in any given year. Something's going to happen where you need, where perhaps you need a lawyer. Um, in the poor, in the poorer communities, we're looking at things like eviction. Veterans benefits, perhaps, uh, some kind of housing condition problem, some kind of health care problem, perhaps uh, a foster care issue, or uh, maybe domestic violence, uh, victims of crime, uh, situations like that. Uh, and you're looking at a, at a country where 86% of the uh, low-income people 
involved in situations like that are receiving inadequate legal care or no or no legal care. Uh, and that's that's kind of what I was driving at when I when I uh, uh, sent you the email about the topic. Uh, I don't have any particular solutions. I, I just want the public to be aware of the problem. Yeah, I uh, a couple of uh, actually it was three years ago, um, my my wife's um, mother passed away. Um, she was in her eighties. She'd had a good life, you know. Um, uh, the the problem came um, to the will. Um, <clears throat> We we thought long and hard about um, going to an attorney. The the problem was uh, that there were five kids in total, and mum and dad wanted to do the the fair and right thing. So the only uh, asset of any value was the house. So uh, sell the house and split the proceeds five ways. Well, that, as it turned out, wasn't the only asset. There was money and uh, some CDs. Um, the uh, elder brother who... Um, uh, who you no longer talk to? Who you no longer talk to? The money <laughs> and the proceeds from the CDs. Um, it, it wasn't a lot of money, you know, something uh-huh. like uh, ten thousand dollars. But you know, it, it should have been split between the kids. Um, my, my wife actually went to uh, an attorney, and he laughed at her. Um, sure, uh, I can take the case, but, uh, you won't get anything because, um, you know, uh, you're going to owe me all that money, um, for representing you. So, you know, the the attorney, uh, the attorney fees are going to be, uh, somewhat, uh, downtrodden. Uh, and there's nothing yeah. we could do. Um, we were definitely in in the right, but being right um, <laughs> doesn't mean you win. The the other side of that coin, or, or the uh, it's interesting that you raise uh, estate issues because if you think about it. Um, a poor person doesn't typically think about inheriting something and what the consequences of having a will or not having a will are. In your family situation or your wife's family situation, had her parents drafted a will, a simple will, that said all of our assets shall be divided five ways, you would have avoided the problem that ultimately you had. 
Um, nobody would have had the right to do that. Having said that, uh, your wife is it your wife's brother you're talking about? Yes. Your wife's brother could have done what he did anyway, uh, will or no will, and you still would have had the problem. You still would have had to hire a lawyer. So I, I, I don't think a will in your situation would have made any difference. If a, if a guy wants to be dishonest with his own siblings, um, that's an unfortunate occurrence. It happens sometimes. People fight over money, over property. Uh, um, you know, mom has uh, three daughters. Uh, this necklace goes to that daughter, this ring goes to that daughter, and this uh, bracelet goes to that daughter, and uh, each daughter thinks they should have the other item. Uh, and all of a sudden, the daughters don't talk to each other anymore. It's, it, it's, it's a sad situation among a family that where a mom is trying to do the right thing and a, and a good thing and uh, ends up causing a family split. But but that's not really the kind of stuff I'm talking about here. Uh, what I'm basically saying, if, if I can put it into words that the people will understand, is no one should lose their house. No one should lose their health care. No one should lose a child. Uh, no one should be forced to have an abortion. Or, I'm sorry, no one should be forced to keep a child because they can't afford to pay for legal help. Um, and uh, that's kind of what's happening out there. There's an organization. It's not really an organization. It's a it's a federal program that administers all of the legal aid, uh, at least on the federal level, all of the legal aid societies in the country. Um, it's called uh, Legal Services Corporation, I think it is. Um, it's a federal program, and uh, it's funded by the federal budget. When Trump took office, the budget for the Legal Services Corporation was something like $375 billion. Nice sum of money, but when you consider that the military is funded at $15 billion, that's kind of a paltry sum, $315 million bucks, um, for every legal problem for a poor person in America. Now, now, I'm exaggerating a little bit, so for those of you who are going to call me on it, Yes, there are local programs. Yes, there are privately funded programs. Yes, there's a county legal aid uh, or a city legal aid or a state legal aid. I'm not saying that every legal aid organization is federally funded, but those that are uh, are funded by this program. The Trump administration in 2017 cut the budget, the $315 million budget, to $33 million. 
and essentially and essentially sought well there's good news but uh, uh, I'll finish my point uh, essentially sought to put the legal services corporation out of business they didn't succeed and today the program is is funded at around 415 million bucks um, it, it that's not enough money uh, the the system is broken people uh, can't find help don't know how to find help don't know help is available one of the things that that for instance, um, the federal system doesn't do very well. Uh, perhaps it's a funding issue. I don't know. But um, they don't know that these programs exist. They don't know who to call. They don't know how to find them. Um, I, I guess I'm sure you would agree you correct me if I'm wrong, Simon, but I, I'm sure you'd agree that if you have a legal problem, a person who's represented by a lawyer will, in general, get better results than someone who's not represented by a lawyer. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Now, would you, would you also agree that a poor person, an uneducated person, or an undereducated person needs that help more than someone who is educated, right? Yes, most definitely. But Yet that therein is, the is the rub. Exactly. The, um, that, that's the person. That's the person who is most affected by this kind of nonsense. Right. So if the if the if the legal services corporation or or legal aid does not have the federal funding to get the word out to get into the community and tell people what's available to them, then the poor community is underserved, uh, does not get their legal problems resolved, and. Um, there's a there's a huge trickle down effect to that. Uh, that I, I have, uh, the I general have public admit, doesn't even think of, doesn't even think about. Right, I have to admit, I had never heard of uh, the Legal Services Corporation. Well, um, check check it out. It's, it's been around for over right, forty years. I, I, yeah, and you know, I I like to think of myself as being. Uh, you know, relatively uh, on top of things. Uh, and so, you know, why why isn't there, uh, you know, more uh, publicity about it? You know, and, and that's the only way that people are going to uh, find out about it. Um, I, I can't you, answer your question. You, you I don't know why there isn't more publicity. Publicity about it. 
I, I really don't know. Now, we're not talking, just, just so that we're, we're clear, we're not talking about assigned counsel in criminal cases. There's a Sixth Amendment right to counsel in criminal cases. Right. And the judges, and the judges at um, state, county, or federal uh, expense uh, assign individual lawyers to represent indigent criminals in criminal court. I'm not talking about criminal court. I'm talking about civil court. And right. that's a whole different that's a whole different can of worms. You're looking you're looking at By the way, uh, the good news is uh, uh, over 2 million low-income people annually utilize the services of Legal Services Corporation. So it's not it's not complete bad news. I'm glad that's not a whole lot that. that's not a whole lot of people. I mean two million two million people is a quarter of the size of New York City. Right. There are eight million people in New York City alone. And so we're only talking about nationally two million people being served by the Legal Services Corporation annually. If, if funding was reduced to the to the numbers that that uh, the Trump administration wanted, um, it would basically uh, uh, eliminate um, any representation. And we're talking about basic needs representation uh, again: domestic violence, housing, uh, child um, um, custody and support issues, veterans' benefits, all of these kinds of things are things that um, that are uh, affected by the issues we're talking about. And just to put this in perspective for you, you'll, you'll love this one, Seth. Forget the $33 million that Trump wanted to go down to. Let's talk about the 375 million in 2017. At that number, at that time in 2017, the United States was ranked 67th in the world of countries when you talk about accessibility and affordability of civil justice programs. That ranked them at Tied with, with. Are you ready? Uganda. <laughs> we were tied with Uganda. Ouch. Most most democracies, and I emphasize democracies because there's a lot of countries out there, obviously, that aren't democracies. But other developed democracies devote somewhere between five and ten times more in funding for civil legal aid. Uh, it's really a, a national disgrace and a huge problem. Um, by the way, when they won 
the funding battle, uh, they lost part of the war. Um, in order to get that money, Congress imposed restrictions that def- that reduced the amount of cases that they that legal aid lawyers could handle for people in need. So, for instance, not surprisingly, uh, under the Trump administration, an undocumented immigrant cannot afford himself of the program. He, can, he cannot use legal, a, legal, a legal aid lawyer to resolve his problem. Uh, legal aid uh, lawyers can't pursue class action litigation for a client. They can't pursue legislative relief for let me, indigents let me just that they could that they could pursue for non-indigents. I'm sorry. Let, let me get something uh, clear in my head. Um, okay. Every, everything I've heard on the uh, TV on the subject of uh, uh, illegal uh, immigration um, Mm -hmm. says that um, um, you basically apply for asylum or whatever and you go go before a judge uh, and the judge gives you uh, a date sometime far, far in the uh, future, something out of uh, Star Wars. That That's how far in the future. Um, but I, I always thought that there was um, a, a legal representative. But you're saying no. There, there, there is no legal aid representative. You can hire a lawyer. Uh, and again, don't forget what I said. There, there are volunteer programs that aren't federally funded. There are privately funded legal aid societies. There are local legal aid societies. I'm not saying it's impossible to find a lawyer. I'm saying that the federal government is Goliath, and the federal government um, – is the conscience of the country. And the federal government should set the example. And the example should be that all people are created equal and all people should have access to the things that uh, are basic in America. And if you, if you have uh, some kind of legal problem, uh, you ought to have the right to consult with a lawyer whether you have uh, a lot of money or whether you don't. Let me let me let's take a, a, a simple example. You know, I mentioned trickle down. Let's talk about the commission of a crime. Um, let's say ten years ago, fifteen years ago. You served your time, 
you're out there looking for a job. You can't find a job because no one will hire an ex-con. So you, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about maybe I can get my record expunged. Maybe I can get my record sealed. Maybe that would enhance my chances for a job. You think that getting your record expunged requires a lawyer? Oh, I'll bet it does. <laughs> I, I, now, I'm not saying it's automatic that it does, but you can bet that uh, to do it effectively, to do it correctly, um, you know, there are people in the courthouse that will help you file the right papers in the right places and what have you, but to do it effectively, correctly, you need a lawyer. Now, right. let's let's say we deny access to that person who has no job, who is impoverished because of his incarceration or his former incarceration, who served his time and is now uh, a trying to be a contributing productive member of society. If he doesn't get it done, if he doesn't get it done right, he doesn't get the job. If he doesn't get the job, he doesn't make a living. If he doesn't make a living, there's a likelihood that he might commit another crime, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's a likelihood that he might get evicted from his home. Uh, it's a slippery slope. And when you talk about the denial of legal aid in civil cases for poor people, you basically create a hidden cost or a cost that people don't think about to those people who have means. If that person commits a crime, that person goes to jail. If that person goes to jail and gets sick, how does his health care get paid for? Answer? Right. Taxes. The taxpayer pays for it. Legal aid in eviction cases, for instance, prevent prevents homelessness. Right. Right? Yep. What does homelessness lead to? Um if you're homeless all, all, that all that's sorts of, all sorts of really bad things. I I know because I spent uh oh six years working for a uh, a homeless center uh running a uh a, a computer uh computer lab for them and uh offering classes i i've i've seen homelessness up close and personal and uh trust me it is not fun and the problem is that most of the uh, homeless people um, I interacted with 
were not technically homeless. They were working poor. Um, they just couldn't afford to um, rent uh, somewhere to live. They, they got up. They, they were clean, decent people. They were well-dressed. They went to work every morning. Um, but, um, you know, circumstances got the better of them. I, I feel really, really sorry for uh, the homeless. Sorry, that was a bit but of if a you take, but if you take it, But if you take it further, then, then the... Uh, I, there's certainly levels of homelessness, but if you take the the worst level of homelessness, you've got a desperate person who has no home, has no job, has no money, has no food. What is that person likely to do with his life? Uh, steal. Um, and and what is drugs. the cost? What is the cost to the to the country to the to the average citizen of that kind of a person? Oh, the, the cost is huge, but um, no one seems to want to uh, step up to the plate and uh, well, deal with. A lot of pe- a lot of people a lot of people want to step up to the plate. But <laughs> I'm not sure the resources are there, and and that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, another example is domestic violence. How do you break the cycle of violence? Uh, uh, between uh, an abusive husband or an abusive wife and his or her spouse. The best way to do it, as you can probably guess, is to get the court involved. A court intervenes. They issue a restraining order. If you violate the restraining order, you automatically go to jail. It's not only a good tool for an abusive partner, but it's also a good tool for an abusive father or mother in a child custody situation uh, or a kidnap situation. Resolving those things are, are rarely achieved without legal help. Same thing with kids in the foster care system. With legal help, a better result is achieved and a kid going down the wrong path in life is avoided. Um, Again, there's, there's another situation where uh, a a person receiving legal help uh, does better than one who doesn't. Uh, Another great example, I don't want to keep uh, ticking off examples, uh, but, but I mean, it just, it, it irks me and, and, and as I was thinking about it and researching it, uh, I kept coming up with more and more things. Disabled people. When a disabled person seeks to rent a home or an apartment, most of them have no idea what their rights are under federal law. When you're seeking a rental under federal law, landlords aren't even allowed to ask you about your medical conditions, disabilities, or illnesses. 
They're not allowed to ask you for your medical records. Yet they do. They also, in in many instances, not only have to offer you an accommodation for any handicap you have, but they're required at their own expense to modify your unit to accommodate your disability. The average person doesn't know this stuff unless they either know or can afford a lawyer. It shouldn't be this way, but it is. It's the first time I've uh, heard it. Um, I'll tell you what, Mark. Let's switch gears just for a few minutes. Um, Okay. Let's talk about your books. Tell us about your books, um, what they're about, and... um, most importantly of all, where can people buy them? Well, first of all, people need to know that I <laughs> that I write books. <laughs> right um, there, you go. <laughs> I've I've uh, I've taken over over the last uh, I would say four years of my life. I began to write some legal thrillers and uh, for those of you who don't know what a legal thriller is uh, if you're familiar with John Grissom or Scott Turow or John Ellsworth um, uh, Marsha Clark uh, uh, from O.J. Simpson uh, fame uh, has written a few legal thrillers. They're, they're books about lawyers uh, who handle civil or criminal cases. Um, uh, and uh, how real-life legal situations, um, uh, uh, fictional accounts, of how real life legal situations might be handled um, in court. Uh, So for instance, my first book was based on a real case uh, that I handled in the eighties. A Catholic priest molested two boys. Uh, Their mother came to me and asked me to uh, pursue the case against the Catholic church. Um, uh, those kinds of cases, as most people in America know, uh, have become, uh, I wouldn't say common occurrences, but they're much more well-known than they were uh, back in the 80s. Uh, so I I was kind of a trailblazer in that field. Uh, and... Uh, the case had such a profound impact on me that I decided uh, way back then that one day when when my career started to unwind or wind down, uh, I would write a book about it. And I ended up writing a fictional account of a similar case. Not It's not uh, the same case, but it's similar. Uh, to tell uh, the people 
what it's like to pursue a case as an individual lawyer representing uh, two ordinary citizens uh, against a huge, huge religious organization who tries to thwart your efforts, uh, confuse the issues, uh, persuade the judge that it's all baloney, lie, cheat, cover up. Um, and it's, it, it, for me, it was totally unexpected. Uh, when you sue a religious organization, you expect that you're going to be treated with respect and that they're going to respect the rule of law and feel bad about what they've done. And instead, uh, they fought us at every turn. Uh, they made the pursuit of justice very difficult. Uh, and it felt like I was dealing with uh, some kind of underground CIA type organization. And that's kind of what I wrote in the book that I uh, created an organization. Uh, whose job it is to cover up these events and make them go away by any means possible as quickly and quietly as they can. And it's a it's a interesting book about David taking on Goliath uh, and doing so in the great equalizer, the courtroom. One thing I would say, we discussed today the issue of poverty and access to justice. But once you're in the court of law, once you're there, once you've gotten that far, justice is blind and equal. And you have... uh, the same rights and possibilities that the large corporate defendant has uh, in court. Uh, uh, and it's a, it's a pretty compelling, exciting book, and I'm very proud of it. Oh, I, I think it's an excellent book. <laughs> the second book is um, was written during the 2016 election. Um, our current president was espousing some uh, extremely offensive uh, rhetoric. Um, Let's rid America of the Muslim scourge. Uh, Mexico is sending rapists and criminals. Um, And I began to think to myself, what would America look like if a bigot was elected president of the United States? And I wrote a book about it. And the book is about a young Muslim woman who was falsely accused of murder and a president who tries to railroad her and her family 
as part of his agenda to make America pure again and rid America of, of its Muslim population. So she becomes the poster child for his campaign. Now, as I've talked to you in the past, uh, a lot of people accuse me of um, picking on President Trump in this book. And while I based the character of Ronald John, the president, in Betrayal of Justice, by the way, the first book is Betrayal of Faith. The second book is Betrayal of Justice. Um, while I did base the character on candidate Trump, I was hopeful that candidate Trump would not become a bigot as President Trump. And if people see a relationship between my fictional president and this current president, it is entirely this current president's fault. I don't tell him how to behave. I predicted his behavior, that he followed the roadmap is on him, not on me. Um, the book uh, depicts the criminal trial of this young woman and the hero lawyer in book one returns in book two uh, and Zachary Blake, uh, my lawyer, uh, my fictional lawyer, uh, is essentially the hero of all of my novels. Uh, book three, The Trail in Blue, uh, is a kind of a, uh, it's not a sequel, but it's close to a sequel uh, to the second book, a um, white supremacist uh, group gains access to sarin gas and tries to release gas in the city of Dearborn. Um, Dearborn, if, if you don't know, is the uh, Michigan city with the largest population of Muslim citizens in the United States. Um, the attack is thwarted. Uh, the terrorist escapes. Uh, a Dearborn police captain who was introduced in book two uh, chases after him. A boat explodes. The terrorist disappears and the police captain is accused of his murder. Uh, the only lawyer he knows to call is Zachary Blake. And uh, a murder trial ensues in a small northern Michigan, Lake Michigan front town. Uh, the fourth book kind of turns the page a bit. Uh, that book is coming out at the end of December of this year perhaps early January of next, but I'm pretty sure it's going to come out uh, right before Christmas. It's called The Trail in Black, and it deals with the issue of uh, white police officers 
uh, shooting and killing unarmed black citizens. In this case, a white cop uh, shoots in a traffic stop an innocent black victim because he thinks that he is carrying a gun. Uh, And as the driver reaches for his license and registration, the officer shoots him thinking he's reaching for a gun. Uh, This case takes you through, or this book rather, takes you through the, uh, both the civil case, uh, Zachary Blake pursues a civil action against the cop, the city, uh, the police department, uh, and the prosecutor pursues a criminal case against the police officer, and it kind of combines the civil justice and criminal justice systems uh, and shows the reader how a uh, police shooting might be handled in both the civil arena and the criminal arena. Um, it's a very interesting read. It's kind of it's kind of if you've read The Hate You Give, which is an excellent book. Uh, it was also turned into a movie, uh, a pretty compelling movie. But The Hate You Give um, kind of deals with the same issues, but not the courtroom aspect of it. And I think what the reader will love about Betrayal in Black is uh, the way the legal system handles the situation. Um, that is something that I, that that the hate you give didn't go to, um, uh, and that's that's where I'm at. I've got two other books that have not been released. Uh, that we can talk about at some point, but uh, those four books uh, are essentially my current portfolio of, of uh, legal thriller novels at this point. I'm also working on a book uh, dealing with uh, the immigration issues uh, from uh, two points of view, the the point of view of a uh, family from South America uh, and a family from the Middle East and how uh, America uh, essentially handles um, those two situations quite differently uh, than, for instance, they handled Eastern European immigration. So uh, that's essentially where we're at. Right. And um, you earlier, uh, when we were chatting, um, the, the subject of immigration came up, and you know you were talking about how yes, it's technically possible for you to um you know um fill out the forms and um deal with the um problem yourself but it really wasn't very practical um 
I can assure you it's not practical. Um, I, I came to the U.S. in um, 1988 on uh, one of uh, Mr. Trump's favorite visas, an H-1B. And, um, oh, it, it, it was like uh, um, moving heaven and earth to uh, convert that uh, to a green card. I mean, next to impossible. Um, I, I would have given up had it not been for um, a high-powered uh, lawyer, which I wasn't paying for. My uh, the, the company I worked for footed the bill, and a handsome bill it was. Uh, just impossible. If if you're uh, an immigrant trying to uh, deal with it yourself, give up. Go home. Because <laughs> you will not win. Uh, you know, there's, there's a second part of that, though, and that uh, differently than your experience. Um, you didn't come across the border uh, get off a plane, get off a boat, or however you got here, and get thrown into a cage either. Um, right. What's 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 driving me nuts about our current immigration situation is, um, you know, you had a sponsor, and you had a job offer, uh, and you were brought over here by somebody. Um, and, and I certainly get the difference. I mean, in, you know, his comment about uh, why can't we get people here from Norway uh, to, to uh, you know, handle some tech job. Uh, I certainly get uh, the concept that we want countries to send us good people to, to help us as a country succeed. But you know, our statute, uh, Statue of Liberty says otherwise. It says, bring us your tired and poor. And I, I, I don't think we as a country stand for the proposition of turning our backs on people. Um, Trump talks about building walls. I believe we ought to be building bridges. I believe... Uh, rather than slapping hands, we ought to be holding hands. Uh, and I, I, the idea of somebody coming here, uh, walking across Mexico from Guatemala, from Venezuela, from somewhere far away from the American border, walking all this way to get thrown into a cage, uh, escaping from something that caused them to walk hundreds of miles to get to America, what Ronald Reagan called the shiny city on a hill, uh, only to get thrown into a cage. Uh, that wasn't my grandparents' experience. That wasn't Simon Barrett's experience. But that is the experience of today's immigrant. And I, I just, I think it's a national disgrace. And yes, 
um, having a lawyer makes a big difference. And in the case of, of uh, in my book, uh, these lawyers volunteer for the job. Uh, so uh, again, I, I don't want to mislead the public in, in the thinking that if this federal program goes away, there's no assistance at all for people. But um, a, a big chunk of it, considering that 81%, as I indicated, are already underserved, even with a $415 million program, think about what it would be like if that program went away. And that's the, that's the important message I want people to understand. You need you need to consider uh, not only from a, from the standpoint of uh, what America is and should be, but these are pocketbook issues. Um, every time we do something as a country to um, trying to, I'm trying to use words that are not offensive to people, but when someone is down, the likelihood that that person is going to become a drain on society um, and do something that causes harm is greater. So to the example that I gave about uh, a, a person who can't find a job and can't support himself, perhaps he commits a crime. That has a cost to taxpayers. Perhaps a person who's under stress because he uh, doesn't have enough money or can't find a job decides to take it out on his wife. That has a cost to society. Uh, the, the, the wife needs medical care. She has no health insurance. Who pays for that? Um, the disabled person who can't uh, get the apartment she needs because she's being discriminated against by the landlord. There's a. This is not what we're about as a country, and I. No. I just think America needs to find its soul again, and that that leadership in that endeavor comes from the top, and when you have uh, a person who basically says, "Screams from the mountaintop, every man for himself," uh, it's all about me. I don't think that's the type of leadership that the country needs. Uh, no, if that cost no, me a, a book sale, so be it. <laughs> but it's got to no, come from the it, top. It is not the uh, leadership uh, we want or need. Um, leadership we do need. Um, where we're going to get it from, don't know. But don't know. I don't. I don't know either. We're we're going to find out exactly one year today <laughs> because it's one year that, today. That is, that is correct. <laughs> to the 
to the polls. Um, Mark, that is correct. Um, we're, we're flat out of time. Um, I really want to uh, thank you for uh, taking part uh, today. Um, is there a, a parting uh, thought you'd like to leave with us? I think I just left you with it. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> this is Simon Barrett wishing everyone a happy, healthy, and safe week. We'll be back again next Monday, same time, and uh, we'll have a brand new edition. And who knows what we're what we'll be talking about. But you can guarantee it'll be fun and interesting. Till then, goodbye. Bye, everybody. Thank you.